Hello and welcome to Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. And boy, do we have something special this week. <sighs> yeah, I let him do it. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to, and I did. Because I care about Jared, and I care about his mental well-being. And he was over here, like, exploding about wanting to talk about things and stuff related to Smash, and has been for, like, 14 years, even though the podcast has only been going for two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, because I care about him, I'm allowing him to take center stage this episode with his... Allowing me. Fanboy hypu. Allowing me. Well, giving me we're a partnership, so sometimes I have to give and take. And this is usually a... I take. <laughs> okay. Well, we've got tangents this week. We do. So, so it's not all going to be no, about actually that this game. week. We a little heavy-handed last episode. This week we're doing a little bit more more fun. fun. Yeah, yeah. So let's kick it off. What's our first tangent this week? Wonder Woman, Wonder 1984. Woman, eighty-four, and and believe it or not, that's actually the working title for the film. Um, I believe it's set in um, nineteen ninety-one, uh, probably. Okay, but now, so Wonder Woman is now filming. For those of us who think it's probably one of the only DC movies that was worth watching, um, and and because we are superhero focused, I don't know. Are you starting to get tired of superhero movies, Jared? Um, not yet. See, I'm kind of the same. Uh, they've all been like really good about changing up genres and stories where I don't know what I'm expecting. Mm -hmm. And even when they're not, uh, they tend to lean towards that humor aspect. So what I'm going to wonder about with the new Wonder Woman, the sequel, is obviously we're moving forward in time. And then we see that there's a bunch of set pictures that were released over the last week or so that revealed that Chris Pine is back as Steve Trevor. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't think anybody has said what's up with that yet. But uh, Ghosts of, of past? Maybe she's haunted by the persona of Steve Trevor. Maybe she comes into her full godly power and brings him back from the dead. Or maybe, because Whoa. it was an explosion and he died off screen. He didn't really die. He was pushed into the future. Oh yeah. I can see that. That, that happens sometimes with painting plane explosions. And, and if my you, question here is, yeah, is this really just distracting from the evolution of the character? I don't know. Isn't Steve Trevor's story and his impact on wonder woman, Diana done? kind of done. Yeah, I would think so. Why, why would bringing him back in 1984 make any sense? Chris Pine is kind of dreamy, though. Okay. You're saying he's the best the of the Chris's? Eye candy for the ladies? Well, you can speak for whomever you'd like. It's okay. You do you, boo. Evil. Nah, here. It's an evil robot sent to play with her emotions. That's too close to the plot of the next Terminator, probably. Yeah. Which, I don't know. you know. So, this is going to take place in between where we see her in Justice League mm -hmm. and the original Wonder Woman. Which means sort of that they're going to introduce one of Wonder Woman's biggest title villains, Cheetah, Cheetah mm -hmm. uh, Barbara Minerva, who will be geriatric by the time 
we catch up with the quote unquote Justice League timeline. Yeah. Unless she has some ability to. I well, mean, I mean, she could be like Wonder Woman. But just... cats don't live that long. No, but like superhuman age slowly. I mean, that's comic book stuff. One on one. Yeah, I don't know. So everybody in comics lives for like really long. That's because they everything is a serial story. But everybody dies before twenty ninety nine. Pretty much, which is closer. <laughs> Gets closer every year. Yeah. Funny how that happens. Um, so they've kicked off Wonder Woman. I'm still cautiously optimistic that. This is the one series they haven't completely flubbed. Though we do have Aquaman coming first. Aquaman. Are you excited for Aquaman? Meh. Like, it's Aquaman. But Aquaman was not a joke until the mid-90s. And actually, in the comics, he wasn't actually a joke in the mid-90s. He was in his dark phase with one arm and chopped off and all that stuff. There's nothing... Like, Aquaman is like the bratty king who wants to protect his kingdom at all costs. He is Black Panther yeah. of the of the ocean. Black, Black Panther of the sea. <laughs> wow, that was diminishing. That's like saying T'Challa doesn't have any social or, or you know, importance. He's the Aquaman of the surface. <sighs> Ouch. I, you know what I mean? It, that, it's just a trope that I don't get into is like the whole we're a secluded nation and oh we're getting pulled into the world events it's just meh oh i did something you didn't think i was going to do because i did it on behalf of my people instead of yeah, but then, the big, then, and then i difference. come around and then that's aquaman that's always aquaman i was gonna say the big difference with aquaman versus like black panther t'challa is that he actually is exiled from his land doesn't know anything about Atlantis when he starts. When he starts. Which is the opposite of T'Challa. Yeah, but we all know how it's going to end. He's going to become king. Well, he's going to get in a fight with his brother Orm, who's going to hire Black Manta, and he's going to fall in love with Mira, and they're going to get married. So now he's Superman. He's just, it's just Man of Steel all over. He doesn't know where he came from. He has these powers, and he can talk talk to flounders. Yeah. I mean, it's just Superman of the sea. It's all it is. (laughs) Wow, you've just diminished him twice. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984. I'm excited to see it. I, I'm still not done with the uh, the eighty the eighties aesthetic of. You mean the revitalization, hair, neon of the stuff? This I don't mind it. I'm actually excited for uh, uh what's the Netflix series? Uh, Glow. Glow. I'm excited for the next season of that for that for that aspect. Of that comes out next week. Yeah. Uh, so, as somebody who lived through the '80s, you, I did too. I was there. I was present. You were like two for like two of those years. I was two for like two of those years. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how math works, but well, I was like two. Yeah. You know, within less than or equal yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I actually was a functioning human being with opinions and memories. Uh, you know, that's okay. Some people can have opinions. Some opinions are wrong. Some opinions are wrong. Um, anyhow, let's move on. Yes, let's. So, the third Zelda t- 
tome. I don't know what you want to call these, but that Dark Horse Dark Horse has published. The giant encyclopedias of Well, yeah, first we had the Hyrule Historia, second mm-hmm. we had Arts and Artifacts, and then this one is the actual encyclopedia, and it really is. Um Did you get the one that's like in a slip case that looks like a Nintendo game? Yeah, of course they did. Yeah. Um so those that haven't seen these books, they're I don't know. They're there's some of my maybe it's my fandom speaking out, but these are some of the most dense um, information on the Zelda games from uh, conception to reality, sort of talking about the, and, and, you know, there's a running joke on the internet about the legend of Zelda and how it was never a legend. And it kind of evolved over time because, you know, they didn't have some grand scheme when they came up with the NES game of the right, It was just a one-off game. They just thought it sounded cool, and they named it after Zelda um, Fitzgerald. No, yes. Zelda. Yeah, yes. yeah. Zelda Fitzgerald. They, they thought Zelda was a cool name. Um, But over time, they've tried to sort of... they've done, And I think they've done a pretty decent job at kind of linking back and calling back, if not directly alluding to. You, you know, know, I agree. I have a different perspective on that. I think it saying that they're linked makes the link, but in many cases, I don't think they were ever planned to really be integrated the way that people want them to be. Well, there's some episodes, like there's some games that are. Yeah. But overall, it's not like wind Waker falls at this point in the timeline versus, I mean, they're different worlds or different settings. It does fall. I mean, so when they broke off the timeline, right, that was the whole, Everybody was trying to put it into one timeline, and Nintendo came out and said that the timeline is actually three distinct timelines, and they all spur off of Ocarina of Time. Yeah. And basically, the outcome is either, you know, Link defeats Ganon as an adult, and mm-hmm. then that future is the Twilight Princess future. There's the Link goes back in time to warn Zelda to have the king stop Ganondorf, and that's the whole wind waker timeline because it causes massive flooding and well, everybody to turn he into leaves and then ganon comes back see in the in the future timeline they actually banish ganon to the twilight realm mm-hmm. so that's why t- and then you have the other timeline of yeah, yeah we don't know where these ones go so they're in the skyward sword the decline <laughs> timeline where they uh, basically said that Link died in Ocarina of Time. Ganon took over, and then basically the Seven Sages sealed him away in the Sacred Realm. I'm sorry. I, my my, my nerd's showing a little bit, but... Um, what are you doing showing nerd on this podcast? <laughs> the, the Zelda Encyclopedia goes over the timeline. It goes over all the evolution of every character, like their iteration it talks about how Link appeared in this game, sort of like his origin, you know, mm-hmm. was he a farmer in this one? Was he the apprentice to a black or a shepherd? He was never a shepherd. Oh, well, yeah, he was a shepherd, but that was, <laughs> that's your favorite game in the series. That two hour tutorial of herding goats and twilight princess. <sighs> it blew that game for me. It, every time I restart longest, it, that has the longest intro of every Zelda. Yeah. And then you take that and contrast it with breath of the wild, where it's just like, eh, you're in the game. Oh, hey, have fun. Yeah, yeah and, and whereas like Skyward Sword, which came in between them, had a, f- a reasonable intro, but the story just wasn't gripping. Oh, I disagree. I think the best aspect of Skyward Sword is the story. Everything else is what suffers. Hmm. But that's my opinion. And some opinions can be wrong. 
Um, anyhow, the Zelda Encyclopedia. If you're a fan of the Legend of Zelda, I think this is the best book in all of, all of them. I mean, it has every enemy, what games they've appeared in, sort of their evolution. It's just, it's just you. You can see the evolution on paper and print. And- Interesting. So would it be enough information that somebody could, say, run a traditional pen and paper role-playing game using that as a oh, reference? I think so. I think that. And I also think if you maybe are a fan of Zelda and you've played Skyward Sword or Breath of the Wild or maybe just three out of the 17 mainline games, this is a good... Like rep- diminished cap? Yeah. This is a good... Uh, <laughs> It's a good reference point to kind of understand the story in each of the games, mm-hmm. you know, without playing them to kind of understand. I don't so know. you have I, to be a diehard fan to want to spend 60 bucks on a book like this. No, it's only 24. Oh, I thought it was more. No. Okay, so it's still $30. It's really good value for what it is. It's like 300 pages and it's yeah. th- under $30. I haven't picked up my copy yet. so so. And I guess Sean's not that excited about it. So No, I um, am. I love those books. Oh, I, I couldn't tell right now. But I'm trying to play a counterpoint. We can't both be super excited. You know, sometimes we can both be excited about no, something. No, we need balance in our reporting. Sometimes Balance is important. Now, if we were both negative about something, I would say, yeah, that's not helpful. But it's okay for both of us to be excited about something. That does not fit the persona upon which I base this character. Oh, that's right. You guys should meet the real Sean Signs. He is... <laughs> interesting happy um well that's generally true and he tells jokes all the time he's so funny not everybody gets my jokes though no but anyhow uh, let's let's move this train along um all right so we had two fairly big genre shows that got canceled this year one of which yeah i was was gonna say there's been a lot of main not just genre shows, but there's been a lot of uh, traditional networks saying canceled it, and then we're looking to Well, use... we had... There's three big stories, yeah. right? And we've talked about one of them already, which was Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right. Which is a, a great, funny, half-hour sitcom that was on Fox about a cop precinct of misfit cops. And it got canceled, but then it got picked up by a streaming service to continue it. Well, a little bit later on this... TV season. They also sci-fi came out and said they were going to cancel the expanse, which you guys have heard me talk about the expanse before. Um, again, if you're not watching the expanse, this latest season is probably the best season so far. And if you're somebody who is looking for science fiction with relatable characters, good stories and fairly solid science, this is probably the show you're looking for. Um, But sci-fi, I guess, entered into a really bad deal with the producers of the show where they didn't have the ability to make any money on rebroadcasts and they couldn't stream it. And like, it's one of these situations where you're an entertainment lawyer looking over going, who would sign this? Somebody that wanted to be, that wanted to make something. I mean, right? I mean, that's... Well, there's got to be that, right? Sci-fi was looking for an anchor show, so they signed up for the expanse because it's got a lot of word of mouth a lot of us are fans coming over from the books like game of thrones or something like that they were looking for their game of thrones and uh so basically we as we found out in the last few weeks of renegotiation at the end of that contract when they decided to cancel it is it was a really bad deal for sci-fi and so they're like look we just can't justify you know putting the show on our network if we can't make any money off of it and so they canceled it, at which point there was a huge campaign by 
the folks at Amazon to try and get it. I guess Jeff Bezos himself is a fan of the both the books and the TV show. Well, and I think out of anything on sci-fi, that's the big that's but the big resurgence of It's sci-fi. the most yeah. science fiction-y of all the sci-fi shows. Yeah. Um, and so, well, Amazon has a vested interest, right? Because they sell books. But there's they, they're looking for new content. Everybody's looking for like tons of content for their streaming services. Here is a show that's already up and running. The production costs have already been outlaid. They've already got sets. They already have a cast. All they really had to do is pick it up and pay for it and broadcast it. And, right. you know, the expanse is already only available for after season streaming on Amazon Prime. It's not on Netflix. It's not on Hulu. So this was a logical place for the show to go. And so they resurrected it. But there was another show that a lot of people uh, were crying out about having it canceled on Fox, which was the DC Comics-based Lucifer. Now, have you ever watched Lucifer? I have not. Lucifer is a fun little procedural cop show with the devil as a special investigator. Um, Very, very tongue-in-cheek. It's fun, right? And, and I guess there's probably people out there who would take offense at me saying hanging out with the devil while he solves murders is fun. But, um, Hey, everybody gets bored. They got to do something. Well, and there's a huge backstory into why Lucifer's on earth and all the role. And it doesn't really tie into the comic books it's based on. Um, there's the seeds of some of the story, but really it's its own thing. Um, but Lucifer's a lot of fun. And Fox said, look, we, the ratings just aren't good enough. We're going to cancel it. And there was a bunch of outcry about, you know, save Lucifer because it's a, it's a procedural cop show. It doesn't have a whole lot of special effects. It's filmed in LA, you know, very easy to pick it up and resume. Well, Netflix has picked it up for another season. So again, we've got another example of the streaming services kind of dominating the content that, well, I mean, it's traditional services are releasing. Well, it's kind of obvious though, right? In in my opinion, it's, Networks on traditional networks have to appeal to the lowest common denominator, mm-hmm. right? That's how they make the bread and butter. That's how they make streaming services. The reason that they're so su- successful is they don't have to play to that. They can tie into every na- niche, right? And as long as that niche has enough people, like Netflix is great at this because if you like stand up comedy, that's where it is. Mm-hmm. If you like um, uh, documentaries, that's where you go now too. I mean, it, they've they've taken these smaller things that would not be successful on any, you know, it, it would be on even a cable network. Even in a cable network, it would be like the documentary channel, and like three people would watch it. Whereas on Netflix, you know, well, it's and documentaries are are much like you know genre shows in that they cater to a very specific right group and sure the investigation discoveries and, and all of those, you know, deadly women and all of the murder porn shows that are mm-hmm. on the discovery networks. A lot of them are on Netflix and they're on demand. Right. So right. I can watch, you know, diary or, you know, how making of a murderer or whatever kind of weird documentary series. Uh, but anyway, so the point is that we're starting to see a shift of traditional, series on you know the the traditional networks kind of getting saved by the streaming platforms and it's a win for the streaming platforms because they don't have to pay all that startup that that goes into building a new show 
Yeah, they're just aqua hires. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, and then they acquire a back catalog and they yeah. automatically have a binge worthy show. Right. You know, you got four seasons of content. You don't have to wait for another season in two years. And we've seen the streaming networks be a little more uh, aggressive with. At first, it was like, well, they're not going to cancel any of their shows. And now they are actually seeing, you know, mm-hmm. Netflix has never released any viewing statistics. So we don't know what is actually it. popular. Yeah. Right? They, they know that internally, but they've never published numbers on like their big Netflix shows that they've. No, but everybody kind of assumes if everybody's talking about Orange is the New Black that right, a lot right. of people are watching it or they're watching other people watch it or something. Or the Marvel shows or whatever. Well, in the Marvel shows, we know there have been some misses right. in the Marvel shows. Like, we probably aren't going to get another season of The Defenders. And we are getting another season of Iron Fist, you know, your favorite Marvel show. Oh, my God. Don't get me started about that guy. Well, we were talking about that before we went on on recording about you know going back and watching the first seasons of all of the current marvel shows is something both of us would be willing to do with one exception iron fist iron fist is just a horrible show it's not worth watching i think it was just i don't know i think out of all the characters i mean you know more than i do about power man and iron fist i mean what they is he that dynamic of a character to hold his own in the comics? He is. In the comics, he is. But you can put a lot of mysticism and surrounding... But but none of these characters exist in a vacuum and the, in the comics. Yeah, and the MCU is not really... I mean, that mysticism is not something they've kind of... Well, they're, they're starting. They're, they're starting, but the other piece of this is that these are street-level heroes. So even if you have Danny and Luke not hanging out together they're only a few blocks away from each other. Right. And, you know, throw Jessica in there, throw, you know, Daredevil, any of those kind of street level. And by the way, Spider-Man is considered a street level hero, even though his profile is much higher. Uh, It's, I think you could sustain a story about Iron Fist, but it would require you going into the Kun Lun and all the mysticism. And then, you know, he doesn't really work without Power Man. And he doesn't really support his own stories. So I think it's that partnership, it's that chemistry, which we didn't see very yeah. much of in Defenders. The odd couple. Well, they're a bit of the odd couple, actually. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you add the fact that that the first series was just not a good introduction to the character. Yeah. I will say, having watched all of season two of Luke Cage at this point, there's one episode in season two of Luke Cage that I think goes a long way towards redeeming Iron Fist. And it really shows that that dynamic could work if they wanted to go that way in the future. Okay. There's no indication they will, but, but yeah, it's cool. So, all right, moving on along. Yeah. Now we have a visual, which isn't going to play real well. You'll have to look at the show notes to see well, this. We can talk. I wanted to talk about, not just about what I got. But about the, the plastic so, you picked up? Yeah, the plastic. Stop. Uh, so, <laughs> what was it? A couple weeks ago, um, beginning of June, I went to Korg's, the Central Ohio Retro Gaming Society. As Sean always says, it uh, it's that thing that was held in the basement of a church, which it was when it initially started. But uh, the last few years, it's been held at um, hotels. I mean, it's it's pretty big these days for retro gaming. There's yeah, a retro hoarding there. has become a big thing. It is. I say as I sit in the mecca of retro hoarding. 
you're a retro hoarder too, to some degree. Just I, that's true. Just digital retro hoarding. Um, <laughs> it's much easier to store. So I, I, I wanted to. T- is there anything in the picture that you wanted to talk about? Well, or ask. We have a callback to an earlier episode, actually one of the kickoff episodes yeah. for this season, which is you picked up Pepsi Man. I have Pepsi Man, the Japanese-only PlayStation game. Yeah. I own Does it. Does it run? It runs. Oh, that's awesome. I need a Japanese PlayStation to play it, but... It or runs. you need an emulator with Japanese firmware. But, yeah, I've already got it. I've already got that. So I have you- an emulator, I, but I actually have it right here no what i'm saying is like the psx ps2x or whatever those are the emulator is mm-hmm. you just get a japanese firmware and you could run it yeah with the physical disc you could still play it so i'm really excited about that that's that was that was like the, the uh, and then you rebought some games that you have versions of which ones well you picked up uh link to the past right oh i rebought so first off these are the original Super Famicom releases mm-hmm. in the box with the manual. It's okay. kind of a big deal. Kinda. How much did you spend on all this stuff? I don't want to talk about that right <laughs> now. <laughs> well, you picked up Final Fantasy Tactics on the GBA. I did. Which is a great version of the game. Um, I have it as well. Uh, you picked up a few original NES titles, including Tetris 2, Electric Boogaloo. I I love Tetris, and I want to own every version of Tetris at some point. Um, so that's why I got it. And I, then Balloon Fight. Balloon Fight's near and dear to my heart, because that's the game that uh, Iwata mostly made and stepped in and, and programmed. So it, It's Discount Joust. You know that, right? Um, Balloon... Oh, what is it? Balloon Fight. Yeah. Uh, no, not Balloon Fight. Balloon... Flight? What is the the secondary mode in Balloon Fight? Oh, it's the, the that's my favorite part of Balloon Fight. Okay, and it's yeah. not as jousty as yeah. But and then it's... you got Gradius, which is a great game. Yep. Um, I I it's one of the games I it's so hard as a you know vertical shooter. It just it's tough. It's a side scroller or side scroller. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, you you can correct me when I'm wrong. I make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> wow and then you bought additional copies of super nintendo all-stars no I, I don't have no i got kirby's superstar okay um which and then is, you got super mario all-star too didn't you no i got lost vikings which i've never played oh i didn't recognize that i thought yeah okay it was so the I kirby got, one reminds me of super mario all-stars yeah no this is this is the original kirby game for snes it's actually but it has eight, eight games but they're not remakes. They're all eight individual games. Okay. And then Lost Vikings, that original Bioware or Blizzard. Interplay. Blizzard. Blizzard. This is one it's of Blizzard. Blizzard. That's right. Blizzard's first game. Yes. Is Lost Vikings. So, and I've never played it. Have you played it? I have not. It's, I think it's like a platformer puzzler. Yeah. I think there's cooperative. You have, it's kind of like you have to move the Vikings to certain places. And yeah. yeah. So anyhow, um, and then you got Sailor Moon for the Super Famicom. That was for my wife. I see. Um, I've actually played that game. Really? Yeah. It's a fighting game. It's a parallel. It's a beat 'em up. Yeah, this one's the beat 'em up. There is a yeah. fighting game too. That's what we thought it was, but this is the the beat 'em up. So yeah, I went to Korg's. It was fun. It was really, really busy busy this year. Um, I don't know. 
Were you going to ever go again? Yeah, I was planning to go this year, but we had other things come up. Yeah. Uh, no, it's... Korg's is, is interesting. If, if nothing else, if you can go to an event like this, wherever you are, in the United States especially, the people watching is like going to people of Walmart. Well... Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, you're in, you're nerdum. I mean, there is, there's some of that people. They, they fall into the archetypes. But, um, actually the, the, the guy that was selling, uh, the super Famicom games to me, he told, told me and my wife, he's like, I'm making deals left and right. I've got to pay for grad school. Everything must go. Yeah. <laughs> so you get, I mean, what's cool is you do have some of the, uh, the Big normal companies. stores that are there, like uh, in in the, in the area, we have Capital Games and Warp Zone, um, mm-hmm. which there's actually I found there's a retro game store right down the street from my house. Really, in Pataskala. we should go sometime. Yeah, we should. Um, but then you have just other random people that buy tables um, and sell their, and just sell their personal sell their collection. Um, are you gonna do it one of these days and get rid of some of the 37 Super well, Nintendo? Well, you actually. Have? Uh, friend of the show uh boat is thinking about doing this in the upcoming years because he's kind of getting into that reselling business cool so and it's a weird m- it's a weird market when you go somewhere like sean said earlier where you just see a big pile of plastic especially like they had some neo geo games and if you if you're not familiar with neo geo <laughs> they just look like big old plastic things right and you're just like Ugh, what is this crap yeah, Neo Geo games are on a whole other level of collecting. Well, because they're the same. The cartridges are exactly the same as what was in your arcade yeah. machines. And I mean, Neo Geo games themselves are just so rare and kind of mystique on their own that yeah, they. So if you ever talk to a Neo Geo collector, you're it's like a, just a different realm. Well, I, of I imagine the Atari uh, Lynx and Jaguar guys are kind of just as weird. Yeah, those those ones are weird for the wrong reasons. <laughs> everybody everybody can have opinions. Yeah, some opinions are wrong. This um, is a thing I said at, at breakfast this morning <laughs> that uh, has apparently taken on a life of its own. I like it. So let's move on, Sean. Uh, ESO Elder Scrolls Online has rolled out a new expansion to the game, Somerset, yeah, based around Somerset, which is the high elf world or part of the world. Um, and Jared, have you ever played ESO? I have not. Okay, I know you don't play a lot of PC games to begin with. Um, but Let this alone is, MMOs. Well, and this is an MMO, so it's more of a time suck from that perspective also. Uh, and, and I'm somebody who's been playing ESO since beta and just kind of lost interest for a while and then went away. And then last year, the big uh, Morrowind expansion came out, which kind of revitalized the game. Uh, they, they moved away and modernized some of the um, ways they were presenting content and if you're somebody who tried Elder Scrolls Online two years ago or three years ago, uh, it's a very different game today. And one of the things that's really cool is so all of that initial content that they took kind of getting the game up and running, they released in the Gold Edition, and then they did something called One Tamriel about a year and a half ago, which is they brought everybody together. You could play with anybody from any faction, you could team with anybody, and the game would level content based on your um, prevailing level, or it will give you kind of artificial levels to help boost you so that a third level character could go adventuring with a 50 level character. I don't recommend that because you're not going to have enough abilities, but 
the whole idea is to bring everybody together. Well, with Morrowind, they started with the idea that there's this entire campaign that starts with the Morrowind expansion. You don't have to ever go back and play the other stuff. And you can start a new character. Well, Somerset is kind of the same idea where you can start a level one character in Somerset and go through this story. And it's 30, 40 hours worth of central story content and tons of side quests. And you can easily hop around Tamriel to go to other places. Um, Though a thing that I will point out is Morrowind brought us our first expansion class, which was the Warden. There's not a class expansion with this, but there are some refinements to the housing system and some of the factions, and and really, it's all about story. So there's this mystery that you have to solve as part of the storyline in Somerset, because you've been sent there by the Queen of the Elves, who's over in another part of Tamriel, to kind of see what's going on back home, and things aren't quite what they seem. And so that's kind of the story driven element so if if you're somebody who plays mmos and you like you know crunching numbers and doing raids and dungeons and things like that there's content here for you but at the same time it's very much a story driven mmo and you can solo this game as well as play with small groups so one of the things i think they've done a really good job in is trying to be as approachable to any style of play the other thing is this is console friendly So there are versions of this on the console. It controls fairly well on the console. You don't need a keyboard and a mouse to play. Um, And if you're a fan of Elder Scrolls and you you are looking for kind of that next Elder Scrolls adventure, ESO is not a bad option while we wait for Elder Scrolls 6 to come out. In 2020. Well, probably. Yeah. But that's okay. We still have Skyrim. So do you think ESO is going to be... uh when all these expansions are, is it going to be a, just a massive world? I, it already is, right? It's covers the majority of the continent and they've already announced some other expansions that are coming to around like the black marsh area. Uh, you can go to Hammerfell, you can go to, you know, Tamriel and the Imperial areas, all of those You can go to Morrowind, Vardenfell. Um, it's, it's really meant to be expansive. And you can go and adventure and, and do your own things. Um, it's not it's not as centrally story-focused as a traditional Elder Scrolls game. Right. But you can't play with other people in an Elder Scrolls game. True. So, overall, recommend it if you're interested. If you've got friends that play and they say, hey, why don't you come play with us? You should now, are the, each version centralized to the... The platform. So if you play on Xbox, are you on Xbox? Yeah, they're not cross-platform. Okay. Yeah, it's Xbox is Xbox, PS4 is PS4, PC is PC. Okay. What's next? So this is one of those games we're going to talk about here where we kind of got a very short runway between announcement and release. Uh, and Nintendo's been doing this more and more often. And a game that I know is very... Near and dear to your heart, Jared, but I put it in the show notes, not Jared, just for the record, which was the Octo expansion for Splatoon 2 came out last last week, mm-hmm. I think. It um, came out the day after their, or two days after their E3 presentation. Right. Yeah, they, they it, it just had a summer release date, and then they said, oh, it's coming tomorrow. Yeah, during the Treehouse, they yeah. just kind of came out and said, well, yeah, you don't have to wait anymore. Yep. 
And so this is the first Splatoon expansion that has kind of a single player story. Well, I think what's interesting in this is Splatoon is it's a multiplayer game. Like the the single player campaign in the first one was It's tutorial, good. really. It is, but it's good. It was a fun story and you, you know, in the first one you fight DJ Octavio, which is mm-hmm. hilarious. Um the second one they didn't really in fact the 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 single player campaign was even more spaced out and boring in my opinion. Um and that tutorial, you know, a lot of people were either coming over. You didn't really need, they didn't, and they didn't really use it as a tutorial. It was just kind of long, and I've actually never finished the full single-player campaign. Oh, yeah, I haven't either. Two. But um, Octo Expansion. Mm-hmm. So this is, an, is a single-player campaign, and the cool thing is, um, think Breath of the Wild... Um, shrines for splatoon that's essentially what it is interesting you have you have these nice little self-contained trials mm-hmm. where they constrain what you have to do or or whatever and they're all fast and quick level different levels of difficulty um and they kind of link into this single player campaign story which is kind of telling the story of the octolings who are the, the traditional the antagonists of right, the, yeah. the inkling inklings so Uh, i've only played about maybe a third through so far but um this is this is the single player campaign for splatoon like this this is what the single player campaign should have been in my opinion cool um how much is it running right now twenty dollars well that's really reasonable yeah i mean i think it's going to be up to to you whether you want this if you you know, if you're playing Splatoon for the multiplayer only, you may not find anything here. But if you want to kind of, if you love the lore of Splatoon mm-hmm. and the world and the characters, the writing, the writing and the music for this are top notch. Better like, than they should be. Better than they should be. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to think that you're going to Splatoon for some in-depth story is kind of funny. <laughs> so. Um, no, I, to- I totally recommend this. Uh, I think this is a good expansion for Splatoon. And the benefit is, is if you beat this, um, you don't have to beat it 100%, but you can carry over and create an Octoling t- to for take multiplayer. into multiplayer. Cool. So, um, All right. Yeah, I definitely recommend it, especially if you're a Splatoon 2 fan. Well, one thing, if you're listening this far into the tangents, uh, you'll notice we're not really recapping E3. Yeah, we did that last year, and this... So, I want to... Let's briefly touch, but not in the way you think. I, re- <laughs> I read an article uh, about I, E3. Wow. Touch and not the way you think. So yeah, you think. that's why I'm laughing. Yeah. And it basically said, E3 is not a thing anymore. Like, it's 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 an at-home event. The people that actually go to E3 are actually missing out more than the people that are watching at home. Hmm. Well, that's and, because people have the wrong idea of what E3 is or yeah. was. Yeah. It has evolved. It's not PAX, which is what it's evolving into, right? right? It's not about community involvement and introduction of, you know, new games from developers. It was a business conference. Right. And when I went to E3 for the few years that I went as I was a practicing journalist, I was running from meeting to meeting to meeting and there were presentations and conversations about, you know, how the games were coming out and what they were going to be. And there's a lot of things that were shown behind closed doors because they weren't ready for public 
And that still happens, but to a much smaller degree. Yeah, and I think the the conferences have become even the, the, the press conferences, which used to be the big kind of, here's all the big announcements for the year. Um, Nintendo actually kind of broke E3. Yeah. By saying, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. Well, yeah, they did this uh, and, what, and three or four years ago. Yeah, and we're starting ago? to see everybody else kind of fall in line. And everybody was kind of disappointed. We're going to go into Nintendo a little bit with our main topic, but um, Nintendo didn't really show a whole lot this year at E3. Mm-mm. But this has been their typical format. The only reason that last year was different is they had a new platform. They kind of had to say, like, hey, we're doing the things you want us to do. Yeah. With um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, with uh, Metroid Prime Four, right? We mm-hmm. didn't see any of that this year. Um, you know, a lot of people were, hi- you know, saying um, it was going to be out this year, and it wasn't. And in fact, two games that were supposed to be out this year, Yoshi and Fire Emblem, are delayed until next year. Um, while they focus on the one game that is coming out, which we will spend right. a while talking about. But that being said everything they did show us is coming out this year and Nintendo does those periodical updates where they can announce something in the next direct. Yeah. And it'll be out in the next six months. Well, and the other thing that I've noticed is with the rise of Twitch and the kind of live stages that used to be, you know, on tech TV or G4 or whatever those stations, if you were lucky enough to have those stations on your cable package, uh, you don't, have to go anymore because all of the big announcements and then even some of the smaller announcements will end up being interviewed by the Twitch streamers that or they the hire gaming at YouTube or whatever. yeah, the YouTube gaming stuff, which is Jeff Keeley yeah. or, you know, even IGN and the traditional gaming media outlets have their own streams set up and they run, you know, 12 hours a day for those four days of the conference. Uh, it, you're right. There, There isn't, and this is something I don't think there ever really was a reason for the public to go to it, but now the public has more information and can see more than they've ever been able to see about what's coming up. So this has gone, and it's always been a marketing event. Don't get this wrong. But we're moving more into this is how people advertise games for the coming year. Well, and companies are much more... Well, some companies have picked up and some other companies haven't, right? I think Nintendo, like you said, has kind of figured this out. They kind of know how to play the audience. Whereas you have a company like um, EA, right? <laughs> and we're not going to go into it. <sighs> but they, they they spend so long talking about stuff, people. And the fans react. like The internet reacts and makes a decision within minutes, right? Yes. And yeah. that's going to plague them. And they're going to have to do so much more work to build up. Well, and it still amazes me with... EA and their approach, they will spend an hour on their show and they will spend 35 minutes of that hour talking about sports games. <laughs> At E3. At E3. Yeah. Anyhow, we said we weren't going to talk about E3, so why don't we talk about Darkest Dungeon? I would love to talk about Darkest Dungeon, actually. Great. So, have you have you seen Darkest Dungeon? I've seen it. I have not Okay, so Darkest Dungeon is one of those games, and it's not just a PC game anymore, but it started on the PC. It's on Switch, right? It's on Switch, it's also on PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, It's a turn-based strategy game where basically you build a small party of adventurers and you go into this dungeon and fight these massive horrific things, right? And it was well-known because it was a game that nobody kind of 
expected to go anywhere. It just, it was a, you know, small publisher. It was an early access on steam and it kind of gained a reputation for being super hard. Uh, because not only do you have to worry about managing your character's health, you have to manage their sanity while they're playing this game. So you've got all of these people you hire and you go into the dungeons and, and basically as they're getting attacked by these monstrosities, they not only get hurt, they, they start to go crazy. And so you have these different levels of, you know, stress, anxiety, and, you know, bodily health that you have to manage. And there's kind of a Cthulhu-style story to it. Very different aspects. Um, so there was a release of a new expansion, its third expansion, this week, which is called The Color of Madness. And it is the thing from the stars style Cthulhu mythos where this comet lands and these weird crystals start popping up and dead bodies are, you know, taken over by this otherworldly creature and, and you've got to build teams to try and fend off this invasion from the stars. Pretty, pretty normal. Well, the great thing about Darkest Dungeon is it's got this really distinct visual style. It looks like Mike Mignola, like the ar artist for Hellboy, like he hand drew all of this stuff. It's not him. But it, it's very similar. It's in his style. Right. And there's this narration that comes over it, which is supposedly the main character, talks. And he's got this really kind of deep bass, eerie voice talking. And he narrates what's going on in the, in the game as you play through it. Then the latest one is interesting because they did a complete rebalance on some of the mechanics of the game. When the game first was released to early access you would die more likely from stress than you would from like being beat up by a monster. Cause that's something you have to manage in the game. Is yes. Stress. And, and stress can be interesting in this because when a character goes crazy, they can develop these traits that could be beneficial or detrimental. Like you can have a character who becomes completely righteous because they're insane and they believe that they were sent by their god to wipe this plague off the face of the earth. So it's actually beneficial when they have that insanity. But it also means that they won't party up with anybody they feel is not um, wholly human. And there are some different classes that you can put into the uh, party mix that are things like the aberration, which turns into a half-demon monster to fight the demons. It's a guy who's been corrupted. Um, there are the cultists that whip themselves, the flagellants, you know, they, they're not seen as good people by, you know, your crusaders or, you know, your holy warriors, your vestals. Um, and so the thing I want to say, if you haven't looked into darkest dungeon, it's available on pretty much all the platforms. Now it's a turn-based game with a deep, deep level of strategy. And it's, it's just, I, I hesitate to say it's fun. It's like XCOM level of fun where you get attached to these people and you know, they're all going to die Yeah, or they're going to go crazy. And it's sort of one of those, I think we talked about it in another episode is sort of that good stress where it kind of, yeah, you know, you it's some people would say, Oh, it's stressful when it's sort of, you know, just a matter of focus and kind of, but it's, it's, it's not like, yeah, it's good stress in my opinion you know that things are going to be managed in a dungeon, but it's also, you take care of these, you can name them, you can equip them. It's, it's, you start to identify with them. And because the game puts you in the role of this narrator, this invisible narrator, not the people who are actually adventuring, 
I think that that has a better emotional impact. So if, if you're a fan of strategy games and you're looking for something that's not fast-paced, doesn't require reflexes, it really requires some thinking, Darkest Dungeon is a game you should check out. Do you know if the expansion launched on all platforms? It did. Okay. It did. Cool. So I'm going to give... Uh, Two quick reviews of two Nintendo Switch games, of course, because those are the only games coming out right now. Other than some yeah, expansions. we're in the summer doldrums. Yeah. So first off is Mario Tennis Aces, mm. which Sean does not like Mario sports games. No. Uh, Mario Strikers has pretty much ruined every Mario sports game for me ever. And Mario Strikers is one of the most amazing Mario sports games. We'll agree to disagree. You know, some opinions are wrong, Sean. Yeah, you're right. Some opinions. Some are. opinions are. So Mario's Tennis Aces is the first tennis game that has some real good depth. Uh, if you played the 3DS version or the Wii U, oh, the horrible Wii U I version. I played the Wii U, which is another reason I don't like basically Mario sports games. Those games were it's tennis, right? You hit the ball over the net, but the the depth of the game was there were these like stars that appeared on the ground, mm-hmm. and your objective was to basically to hit just the ball into a hit star. the ball. Yeah. over there it was just sort of like i have to go to this place and hit the ball or i'm gonna lose now take that away in mario tennis aces they did a way with that um they added three new mechanics uh first off you can slow down time okay. to get to a ball faster you have something called a zone shot which allows you to kind of do a top-down aim mm-hmm. um and then you have a special move. And these are all based on a meter that builds up as you do charge shots. And, and you complete hits for Complete volleys. hits over time. So you have yeah. this management. It's really fun. I played it for about four or five hours last night with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you get into the zone, it, it is a lot of fun. So I, I recommend it. The single player I've played is kind of... It, some people were hoping for the... Uh, I think it was the Game Boy Advance Mario Tennis that had like a full-fledged RPG where you <laughs> built this anime character and build them up over time, and there was relationships, and it was still no, a Mario Tennis that, game. Uh, no, this is Mario has to find the five not Infinity Stones to stop <laughs> Waluigi and Mario from this possessed tennis racket thing. It's a it's completely Mario. It's it's perfectly fine for Mario. So next on the list is Sushi Striker, the way of Sushi. Which we joked about in a previous episode. This is not everybody's cup of tea or sushi roll, so to speak. Uh this is a very weird game. It's a puzzle game, but it's one of those active puzzle games where you're connecting the things to the things and they disappear and send things to your enemy. Um so, what are you showing me? My wife just sent me a picture from Cleveland. They're out of town this week of all these candies that are Mario and Pac-Man shaped. Pac-Man, Pac-Man, like stars and oh, nice. So cool. Um, so Sushi Striker starts off with this completely anime song uh, about sushi striking. Sushi to be a sushi striker, you basically consume sushi. And then throw your plates at your enemies. And in this world, there was the great sushi struggle in which the world battled and fought over sushi. See, Sean, first off, this this combines a lot of things that Sean hates. First off, (laughs) 
it involves indirectly fishing, right? Because sushi fishing, right? It, it it involves a completely dumb story. It it it's it's fun. Um, the the controls are a little weird. You can definitely tell this was based for a touch based game. Mm-hmm. And on the Switch, you have that option on the touch screen, but playing with the controller is a little different. Um, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but if you're looking for a fun kind of pick up and play for five minutes puzzle game, it's worth it. Okay. You're not you're not into it. No, I don't think I'll play it. I I don't think you'll play it either. But I, I'm sure that there's an audience for it, and that audience is Jared. Specifically but, me. Well, I think they made all of these silly games for you. I I just all of these silly games. Yes. Okay. You don't like my broad generalization? I don't. Okay. I don't. Well, you know, it's your opinion. And some opinions are wrong. <laughs> so, Sean, we're we're here. Um, yeah. We're here at the main topic this week. Go ahead, do it. Do it. Do it. I, you don't sound that excited. Well, you know, I have to maintain my um, neutrality whenever... I have to be the negative counterbalance to your maybe, squee. Maybe, maybe I can get... Get you on board. Here. All right, let's see. Hey, Otacon, I got a woman here in a power suit. Huh? How did you know she was a woman? Yeah. That'd be Samus Aran, the most renowned bounty hunter in the galaxy. Her arm cannon packs quite a wallop. If you get hit with a charged shot from that thing, you can kiss your butt goodbye. Hmm. Sounds like my kind of woman. Yeah, well, just don't get too close, Snake. Samus is deadly. After space pirates killed her parents, she was raised by the Chozo and trained in the fighting arts. She's been places and seen things that people like you and me can't even begin to imagine. But underneath that cold metal exterior beats the heart of a woman. So if you can't tell, I finally, and I alluded to this at the beginning of the show notes, in the show itself, is I finally decided it was time to just give in to Jared and let him have his moment of smash hype. So, Jared, why do we care? Sean, I want you to tell me what was the happiest moment of your life as a kid. Actually, let me tell me, let me, let's break it down. What was the happiest moment for your adolescence? I'm not even sure. I'd have to think about okay, that. Okay, let me let me take of this. Did you ever get excited for Christmas? Yeah. Did you? I mean, in the traditional sense of like, oh boy, what's what? Am- so there was the one year I got the laser pat laser tag rifle with rapid fire capability, okay. and I knew I was going to beat every all of my friends at laser tag because I had this giant rifle that had rapid fire. Yeah, I was really excited for that. Okay. Now, have you ever been excited like that as an adult? That same similar feeling. Yeah, a few times. What what was one of those times? Um, well, birth of my children. See, and this is what I was thinking, right? We've, as adults, we've had these moments where we've gotten married. Some of us have had children. Some of us have gotten that perfect dream job, right? That mm-hmm. we have that moment of exhilaration, and it's short lived, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's it needs to be. The human brain can't function with joy. We can't all the be time. in perfect. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Sean, and I mean this in 
absolute sincerity. I mean this with the bottom of my heart. Okay. When they showed off that initial trailer at E3 for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, mm-hmm. it's been one of the happiest moments of my life in the last few years. I see. Are you now? Do you feel sad for me? No, no. I, I don't. I'm not judging you. I'm not. I'm not pitying you. I'm not using any loaded words in my description of how I'm feeling right You're now. You're none at of all. those words you just used. <laughs> Uh, I just, it's not a feeling I understand. No, and that's fine, but I... I'm i am happy for you. I know this is something that's really, really made you excited. And that's, there's some infectious excitement coming off of you about this. And, and I will, I mean, again, we've talked about this in the past. I tend to be much more measured emotionally when it comes to responding to things. Even if I'm really happy, you can't often tell. Yeah. Uh, Actually, everybody thinks Sean is pissed off all the time. Which is the furthest from the truth. Yeah. Actually. But it's... This is cool. All right. <laughs> I'll play it. That's when he's very excited right there. That's that's <laughs> him being really excited. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like dead serious, though. So Super Smash Brothers, I have very fond memories of this, this series. So it has an emotional... It does. Yeah. It's tied to a, an emotional core of... And it's like that perfect crossroads of why I love Nintendo. Okay. This so is, that childlike innocence that you look at that, the that world That I still through. have a piece yeah, of. I don't have that anymore. You're just gone. I, no, I just... I'm. I think that my life has been one where I've been taught to be much more cynical about things. Yeah, I am cynical, right? I mean, Nintendo is there to make money off of me. And boy, are they going to make money (laughs) off of me. So I just wanted to talk about this episode. I'm not going to make it that long because I don't have much to say. But I did want to talk about why I love Smash Brothers. Yeah, let's. And maybe you can help me understand. So, because it, to me, let me just set the basis. Yeah. To me, it is a multi-character arcade fighter that really is more about the fun you have playing with other people in the room because of the weird things that happen while you're playing it. Yes. That's the fun of Smash Brothers to me. So, if I don't have a good number of people that I would set aside and just... I think that's... The problem is you didn't have any fun moments with it. No, I don't. So well, Smash, I was too old. Smash came out in... The original one came out in 99. Yeah, I was way too old. Yeah, let's not talk about how old you were. <laughs> so I remember going over to a friend's house on Saturday evenings during the summer. Mm-hmm. And we would play until the wee hours of the morning. This is when I was working for the Columbus Dispatch at the time. And I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to Deliver go papers. supervise the paper. And that careers. ancient role that, you know, so no one has basically anymore. my lifestyle in summer, uh, was Saturday night, go play smash, rest for a few hours, go do my job and then go to sleep. <laughs> um, I can see that. And smash brothers has, it has at least one Nintendo character you like. Oh, it has multiple characters that I like. Yeah. And they've added more characters. They've added quite a few. Yeah. Uh, and then in college, in 2001, 2003, we mm-hmm. played Smash for GameCube, which is highly regarded as the best by some, mm-hmm. not all, um, which added a ton of characters, added much more stage. And then that's where you really got to see who Sakurai was, um, the lead developer, 
created yeah, Dracula absolutely. and Super Smash Brothers, who's widely respected in the industry. His he understands how to make a fun game. He really does. Well, he he and, has a vision. Like he, he you can tell he has what he wants to make, and that's what he's giving. And it may align with what you want, and it may not align with what you and want. And that's fine. Um, so, but for me, this has never been a series that I've been like, oh my god, it's out, I have to sit here and master everything. Whereas you and a friend of ours, Gus, Gus is insane about this game. Yeah. Uh, but like, competitive insane. Yes, yes. He's, um, on, he's more of the competitive side of things with yeah. melee and the the professional circuit um and the closest probably in the nintendo staple for these types of games for me like this would be mario kart but even that in the last few years it's just it's a game i sit down and have fun with friends on yeah it's i don't have that emotional connection that you have um but what i will say is the announcement of ultimate at e3 had a piece that even my jaded black heart was excited for which is the idea that every fighter that's ever been in the games any of them is going to be playable in ultimate yes and some people are i don't know some people i think okay my point of view on this is some people were like well you know they're adding dark pit who wants dark pit somebody i want dark pit yeah, i was they- gonna say <laughs> And if you don't like it, who cares? Yeah, everybody's here. That's the whole point. Yeah, and if, I think if, if you want to be the guy who plays Ryu or Mega Man or Cloud or Mega Bayonetta, Man. Mega Man's still in the game. Everybody's back. So this this is so I want to point out. Um, you know, Sakurai did say in an interview he had two options with this game. It was he could make it from the ground up, new fighting style and everything, and the mm-hmm. roster would be a third of what it is, or he could take past elements of all the games and throw them up in the one game. He chose the latter. Well, what I was waiting for them to announce was not just that all the fighters were there, but all of the levels. So it's already confirmed through screen. People have been meticulously going through all the screenshots, videos on the smash bros site. 83 stages are coming back. That's a lot. Three. And, And, And many of them are variations on a theme. Of one of the games, Which right? would account for why you wouldn't bring all of them forward. Because right. one of the Kirby levels may be identical to one of the Metroid levels. No. It, the only thing is different. the skinning. No, I mean, historically. Oh. Oh. Not, not necessarily in this game. But I'm saying there were some levels that were really derivatives right. of each other. And so not bringing all of them back isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think they're going to bring in like 90% of them. Well, that'd be awesome. Stellar. Now, the question I have because Nintendo has recently embraced the DLC concept is how many are going to be on the in the game out of the box so versus first off add-ons. all of the announced characters are going to be in the game at launch okay. which is upwards of what 66 different characters yeah. which is insane um i mean most of these new fighting games are starting to launch with smaller and smaller ro- rosters and yeah opening up for DLC the other thing i want to mention is Sakurai said I hope you don't expect too many new characters. He said the exact same thing when uh, the last <laughs> Smash came out. And we got Cloud. We got Bayonetta. Mm-hmm. We got Ryu. So, like 16 Fire Emblem characters. Yeah, there's 16, 70, 70 now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's going to be additional characters, which makes this even more 
hype worthy. Okay. So if it's just a skin around a specific set of moves, then it doesn't, I mean, it's just cosmetic who cares. Right. But the thing that I think is stands out here is that these are not just cosmetic skins on a wireframe. So they have completely different move sets. They have different styles. Well, and I think the, the difference between smash and other sort of mashup games, so to speak, I don't know if I have an example off the top. PlayStation all-stars. Yeah, actually that's a good example. Um, because they didn't get what made smash smash. When you play Mega Man and Smash, he plays like Mega Man from Mega Man. Yeah, he uses his actual moves. Um, when you play Bayonetta, she plays like she's straight out of a Bayonetta game. Um, whereas PlayStation... Where you play Cloud, he mopes about being Cloud through the whole game. <laughs> yeah, there's that whole... you can One of his taunts is where he's in a wheelchair and he's mopey. Um, so... I guess my question to you is what character, if any, could they add to Smash Brothers that would get you really excited? And we were talking in the Discord about this, and I don't know if you saw it, but um, I thought of some examples for you, and I didn't know if you agreed No, with I didn't them. see that. I need oh, to you didn't see that? Let me bring up my Discord. So it's it's been rumored that Simon Belmont... So Castle, oh yes, Castlevania. Any of the Castlevania characters. But and I Alucard, No, I did see it, because I made a joke... About the fact that we asked for that once and they gave it to us and it was one of the worst oh, Castlevania games yeah. ever. Yeah. <sighs> no the, one, no one wants to remember that. Game. Thanks, Konami. Uh, but, you know, if they did it, if, if they put it in the Smash, it would be very accurate to the No, character. yeah, exactly. If we, and then what I would think would be cool is not doing like a modern interpretation of Simon, but it, like the original Castlevania graphics. Oh, with the whip. With the 2D. Yeah. And then he would throw like his boomerang. And I was thinking his down B would be the holy water. Holy water for the grenade. And then you have the... Side um, B would be the axe. Well, and that's your loft, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could easily build that character. Where does Final Smash be? It would probably be the um, spinning cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not the not the one that is like a boomerang or, or does the circular thing, but like mm-hmm. when it spins around him in some of the later games. It wouldn't be the original Simon, but like Alucard has some of those moves in Symphony of the Night. Yeah, maybe Alucard shows up with him for it. Or you summon him as a capsule. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some cool opportunities there. And again, for me, it's, it's not that I don't like the Smash games. I, I really do like them. I've purchased all of them. But for me, that those types of games are social games. And my problem is I don't... I can have fun losing, which I do generally in mm-hmm, those games, mm-hmm. because they're not my style of game. That's not what I spend hours doing. But the ability to take anybody at any skill level and throw them into the game and have fun is what matters to me. And I think that is one of the things that Sakurai and the team at Nintendo do very well. Uh, you look at it with all of their multiplayer games. You know, Mario Kart being another great example, you can be a, a completely inexperienced Mario Kart player and still have fun playing with very experienced players. The game never puts you into the position where you're being lapped two or three times by a really good player because the world isn't like that. It's not a super ultra competitive game. 
Gus is kind of the borderline in my examples of this because he does know everything about every moveset and the frame locks and all of those things. And it's really cool to talk to him about it. I don't think I'd want to play with him. Yeah, and I think what's different about this one is they did acknowledge the eSport aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a... This one is... I think this one's not called Ultimate Lightly. I think this one is Sakurai's last game. Well, the last one was Sakurai's last game, too. Well, he's been saying that every time, but I th- I really feel that with this one because he said in an interview, you know, he he vied, vowed to get every character back, and he worked with Nintendo, and Nintendo backed him up on it. Think about this. They got Snake back. Yeah. From Konami. Konami, which Kojima is no longer even involved with that character. They've... Hey, I don't want to say bastard. Did they get the, the Pajinko version? <laughs> but somehow Nintendo was able to go to the table and say, "Hey, here's a check. Give us the character. Yeah, this will be only going to help you." <laughs> and same thing with with. I mean, you know how license as you as you become an adult, right? You realize when when you were saying, "Oh my gosh, wouldn't it be cool if they did this and this and this?" And you realize as time goes on, there's licensing and. Mm -hmm. lawyers and you know like scheduling and time and all this stuff and those imaginations kind of you realize the reality of business right this in my opinion and this might be hype fueled a little bit is a massive undertaking i think this is going to be i think this is going to be people are going to be talking about this game 10 years in the future this is going to be the new Mm. I don't think they're ever going to get this sort of mashup ever again. Nintendo's on a on a high peak. We know the ebb and flow of Nintendo. Mm-hmm. They may not be here in five years, where you know the Switch is on fire like it is now. We could see Banjo and Kazooie come. We could see or ukulele. You could see Master Chief <laughs> you ignored me. Come over. Because, How about Mighty Number no. Nine? No, don't ever say that. I'll kill you in the back alley. Um, have you seen all the uh, the love between Nintendo and Microsoft lately? Yeah. With the crossplay well, for it's, Minecraft? It's, it's not so much the love between Nintendo and Microsoft. It's an opportunity for both of them to, to beat, beat up, up Sony. Sony. Yeah. Um, Do you think we'll see Master Chief and no. Smash? Who do, there's going to be somebody. Okay, what would be your most off-the-wall character? Third party. Busby. Busby? Yeah, or Spyro. Spyro. That's those would be the most off the wall if they could get somebody to free that up. Now that what about Kratos? I don't. I wouldn't be surprised actually, but I don't want Kratos in this game. Okay, so usually they've. I played PlayStation All Stars, and (laughs) it it didn't exactly make me happy that I had all the. I mean, you had Ratchet and Clank and Kratos, and it was their version of Smash without being any fun. Yeah. Um I don't know. I the character aspect is interesting, but here's the thing that actually caught my eye. Because of this, they're re-releasing the GameCube controller and adapter again. Again, because they did this for the Wii U version. Right. Yep. I don't even know how that works on a Switch. Is it you plugs into USB-C? Yeah. Okay. Well, first off, it's already compatible on the Switch. You can play most games with the GameCube controller now. With like with a wave the, bird or how do no you, with the the you need an adapter though 
Yeah, or you can pl- or you can plug it into the dock. Oh, as a USB? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, this was patched in uh I think a few months ago and everybody caught on to it, so. But I mean that's still for Switch. It would be awesome to be able to play with that kind of controller. Mm-hmm. And that was the best part of the GameCube with that version of, you know, Smash. It just was a perfect controller for that. Yeah, we've been able to play with the GameCube controller ever since Melee. The the we had GameCube ports. They brought the adapter over for Wii U. I guess the 3DS version is the only version you can't play with a GameCube controller. Well, there's good reason for that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's we've spent a lot of time talking about characters. And you know, we talked a little bit about the stages. The gameplay ideally is going to be similar to the same. But maybe some expansion for new movesets. Because I'm sure they'll change it up. Well, they've, they've already announced it's going to be faster, more punishing, kind of moving back towards what melee was but not quite melee because what melee is for a lot of professional players is a lot of unintentional side effects of movement that people oh. have exploited right and that's critical to their high level of play it adds it heightens the ceiling quite a bit for high level play whereas brawl was incredibly slow and yes. there wasn't a lot of you know movement options this one they're adding back air dodging they're punishing overuse of shield hmm. um and they've not they made the ledge grab not so snappy um <laughs> so there's a lot of little tweaks that you can tell they're kind of catering to the professional and i think this is really good because again it's going to be one of those games like you said where it's easy to learn but really hard to master and when you have those games that have those mechanical systems like Breath of the Wild or Super Mario Odyssey where Mm -hmm. they're very fun for everybody, but you see the insane things that people do in those engines. That's what makes those games last forever. So Okay. So having given you this opportunity to dive into your favoritist, most favoritist thing in the world, do we get a week or two break? Yeah, I guess I'll stop. Unless there's a new Smash trailer, and then we'll have to talk about it. But we missed one minor little thing, and then we'll leave it on this. Okay. Every character's back, but they decided to add the Inklings from Splatoon, mm-hmm. which looked really fun. They added your favorite character, Daisy, who everybody was asking for. Everybody. Mm. They uh, left out Daisy. one individual. Yeah, <laughs> so... What was that? I, where was, I don't know. But, uh, maybe we, we know where he went. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Waluigi. Yeah. Hmm. Which the internet is aflame with that they're not adding Waluigi to, uh, to Smash. Smash. Because he is, he is the best meme. He's an amazing internet meme. And you think they would capitalize on that? Just He'll be a capsule fighter. Yeah, he is. Lastly... They added a character, they said they couldn't do it, and they did it. Who's that? Ridley. Oh, yes, Ridley. Ridley <laughs> is in Smash. Ridley is also a meme. People have been asking for this character since Melee. Yeah. And as a Metroid fan, you should be excited. I am. I'm game. very excited about Ridley. I just don't know how he's going to play. Did you see the trailer? I did. I did. What, what's great about the trailer is Smash is pretty lighthearted game right it's pretty mm-hmm. fun smash oh and you see oh, ridley kill like oh, mario and link <laughs> ridley outright kills mega man and mario yeah. and then samus sees him and also 
points for them. Samus didn't cower in fear when she saw Ridley this time. Well, this is like the 17th time she's fought him. Well, so was Other M. Yeah, well. Uh, Other M didn't happen. And then, did you see his final smash? No, I didn't. So what he does is he takes whoever character, he throws them out in the space, they land against Samus's gunship, and then he shoots a giant laser beam out of his mouth, and the ship explodes. It's really dark, Oh, wow. But it's true to the character, right? Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, actually, there's a comic I'll share in the show notes, but I'll I'll reiterate it vo- vocally here for you. It's uh, Samus is sitting at a table, and Mario and Link come over, and they're like, Samus, what's going on? She's like, you guys, you invited Ridley to Smash. And they're like, yeah, he's fun. You know, we're trying to get everybody. We're trying to get more villains and trying to mix them. You see, King DDD, he's misunderstood. Bowser, you know, he still carts with us and plays with this. And then she's like, but guys, Ridley killed my parents. <laughs> and Ridley's over there like, one time, one time I did it. <laughs> so You do something once and you never outlive it. <laughs> you never outlive it. So that's what I'll leave it. I want to know from everybody else. Are you guys excited for Smash? Is is Smash done? I feel like this is the last big Smash. That's my ultimate feeling. Ultimately? Ultimately. Um, I think it's a series. I don't think it's going to last forever. Like you said, that, that type of gameplay, mm-hmm. the fighting game, isn't forever. It's not as inclusive as it was once. Well, but the only game platform that these types of games can even survive on is Nintendo's. So if they they have Super Smash Kart and you can play as Solid Snake, will you be more excited? No. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. So yeah, let us know in your feedback. Um, you know, if if you're excited for Smash, what character you'd love to see for Smash? Am I overhyped? And you know, is this not going to be a a big game for Nintendo? You know what? Gonna... I don't want to discourage your t- childlike enthusiasm. I really no, don't. No, it's fine. It's fine. I, it's just I, I'll be dead on the inside in a couple of weeks again. It's fine, but um, wow. <laughs> so let us know. That's like um, Ridley level dark. Let's move on to fans giving of the back feeds. Yes, I'll let you read this one this week. So Sean Obi, a frequent feedbacker or backfeeder, but person who tells us stuff about our stuff, uh, had the following to say as a result of our last episode which was focused on God of War, fatherhood, some kind of deep and heavy things. Um, He said that it was a great episode. I had to skip a bit of the God of War stuff, spoilers, but I loved the thoughtful discussion about fathers. Sort of assign video games as a medium, and the people making them are growing up. Obviously, we agree. And, you know, growing up is something we've even talked about a little bit in this episode. Because, you know, the tastes that we have and the nostalgia and, and, and the connections to these things, they're emotional. And as we get older, I think we look for different things. We, we, we want something different out of our gaming. And um, so thank you as always, Sean Obi, for the feedback. Uh, if any of you are interested in giving us some feedback on... Um, you know, our topics, Jared's enthusiasm for cartoony games. I look forward to people crushing my enthusiasm through the comments. So thank you. <laughs> then you know how to reach us. Um, let's move on to the new segment we introduced last week, last episode, uh, which is called Missed Opportunities. 
So as soon as we were done recording the last episode, Jared and I were talking about how this was going to evolve a little bit. And, and I said, you know, I've got all of these op- these games that I would have loved to have really point people back to. And one of the games um, that we actually were talking about it immediately was a game called Alpha Protocol, which, Jared, you said that you had, you'd heard of it but didn't really know anything about it, right? Is this the Sega shooter? It's a Sega. It's an Obsidian controls? game about spies. So it's an it's a tactical espionage RPG published that has microphone by Sega. Control. What's that? That has microphone control. No. What am I thinking? No. Of? It's more of a traditional kind of four uh, prong dialogue system. It's a third person action game. Uh, and it has a detailed RPG system behind how your character um, moves forward, learns new abilities, those types of things. Uh, so if if you missed Alpha Protocol, the one thing I, I'm going to caveat some things here. And I reloaded it on my PC because I own it on Steam, and I realized very quickly that this is the era where, even though they would port a game over to the PC from the consoles, which is what it was primarily designed for they didn't necessarily port over the control schemes. So it has limited controller support, and that causes some problems. But if you can kind of push through some of the controller and some of the middle minigame stuff, so there's a hacking minigame mini that it will be very reminiscent of the kind of Mass Effect 1 minigames, uh, which obviously Bioware did that, not Obsidian, but that it's 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 a gem I think a lot of people missed because who would think that you'd want to play James Bond RPG and that's effectively what it is so that's my missed opportunity uh Jared what's yours so Sean did you like Metroid Prime I did do you like pinball I love pinball have you ever wanted to play through the story of Metroid Prime through pinball form no you do I do. My but missed opportunity. Can I, can I do that? You can do that. So there's there's been a lot of Nintendo themed pinball games, Pokemon pinball, Kirby mm-hmm. pinball, blah 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 blah. Metroid pinball, Metroid Prime pinball was a DS game. It's one of those things where I picked up was like, well, it's Metroid, it's pinball, like it. It's surprisingly good. Um, I'm completely missed this. You missed this. I don't know how I would have missed this. That was the era in which I was full-on game reviewing. That's right here. Um, oh, no. I do have that. Yeah. I just never played it because it had the rumble pack. It has a rumble pack. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, this is a DS game. It's still compatible on 3DS um, without the rumble. But it, if you like Metroid, you're a Metroid fan. This deserves to be in the pantheon of Metroid games, in my opinion. And I don't say that lightly because you may be looking at your favorite franchise spinoff game and you're like, well, that's a spinoff. Hey, Sonic Spinball was amazing. This is no Sonic Spinball. And no, it's not. Um, <laughs> I knew I'd get that response out of you. It's it, it's also one of those games like, you know, Sonic Spinball, he rolls up into a ball. He needs to be in a pinball game, right? You think the same, yeah, it makes same perfect thing sense. Samus and it works. You can also, she turns into her normal human stance and shoots with missiles during the game. So cool! It's an arcadey game. It's you could probably find it for ten dollars or so right now. If you still have an old DS or 3DS laying around, I totally recommend it for just some 
mm-hmm. fun time killer. But that's what I think. Let us know what your missed opportunities were. Give us some recommendations of things that we may have missed. Um, yeah, and we'll cover those. And I think if you've listened to the show for a while now, you kind of get a taste of what Sean's into and what <laughs> I'm into and how some opinions are wrong. Um, <laughs> That's uh, fair. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious. So, uh, Sean, this is your one dumb thing. Oh, God, yes. And I don't know if it's so dumb as if it's obvious, but I'll let you go into it. So this week's one dumb thing was, is an E3-related comment. E3? E3? Electronic 3? <sighs> Electronic Entertainment Expo. Oh, okay. So Microsoft was the first of the big publishers to kind of kick off the E3 conference this year. And one of the things was readily obvious to me. Now, this is a generation where I have flipped and flopped between what I traditionally was my primary gaming platform from the console side. Last generation, I was largely a Microsoft Xbox 360 player. This generation, I've been PS4 almost the whole time. I have an Xbox One. I have a launch Xbox One, just to put it in context. Um, And what was apparent to me is that Microsoft has kind of admitted to itself and now to us that the Xbox One is kind of over. Uh, They're not going to catch Sony in this generation. They're not even going to catch Nintendo, who just launched a year ago in this generation as far as per capita sales. So we've got a launch title that got delayed. It still isn't out five years after the platform was released. They stumbled a lot around what they wanted to do with the Xbox one. And I think that cost them a lot of their initial steam. And now they've kind of said, look, we're already working on the next Xbox. We, we understand, you know, the Xbox one isn't going anywhere, but You'll be hearing more about our next platform very soon. I, th- I I guess my one dumb thing here is you effectively killed the Xbox One by announcing the next Xbox. Yeah, but doesn't that happen every... I mean, every, everybody knows. I don't think they've effectively killed it. I mean, I guess maybe so because it's not that big, right? I mean, that's what you're essentially saying. Well, but they've still got some exclusives coming out. They announced a new Halo game. They announced... Uh, Crackdown 3 will be coming out in 2077 mm-hmm. along with Cyberpunk. And, you know, at this point, I'm like, why would I... I mean, is your point that is, why would I get an Xbox One now? Yeah, what you're saying. exactly. Okay. If I'm already installed, if it's already, I've already owned one. Yeah, not... I, I don't disagree with that, but I would have said that two years ago. <laughs> well, mean, that's because I mean, there was no exclusive games. There's, I mean, there are some good franchises for Xbox, like Forza Horizon... Uh, Well, here's the other thing that Microsoft talked a lot about, and we've been seeing over the last year and a half. Microsoft has shifted to a co-release approach with the PC. Yeah. So the Forza games are coming to games for Windows or Windows Store and Windows 10. Halo is likely to launch on Windows 10. I think in order to make it successful, they're going to launch PC simultaneously. And it'll be cross-play, I think. Well, and they did with uh, Halo Wars. Right, they did with Gears of War. I think, I think, yeah, they're they're going to start relying on the PC gamer side to help out with, the, which makes a lot of sense because yeah. the PC is exploding as a platform right now. Right. Just like the Switch, the PC is the other platform that has a lot of momentum, um, and PC always kind of goes through these cycles. Anyways, yeah, I think every everything really does. Right, we talked about how consoles are going to die, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I actually shared a, a a cool article about the art to Nintendo's success 
mm-hmm. um, that kind of talks about their ebb and flows, right? Everything ebb and flows. And I think Microsoft did admit defeat this E3. Yeah. I think that was ultimately what they did. Um, they admitted defeat while we're actually talking about five exclusive titles. And what's what's really sad for Microsoft's <laughs> show was they had they had the most games. Like I would say, out of oh, yeah. anybody, they had the most diverse number of games coming out. When they bought a new, they bought three new studios this yeah. year. But none of those, not I would say, the majority of these games are going to be cross-platform. Yeah. There was only a handful of exclusives, and it's weird things like Cuphead's DLC. Cuphead's DLC in a little indie game called Tunic were the most exciting things for me in that show. I don't know. Um, I was I was kind of excited by, and I didn't play Gears Four, but Gears Five. Yeah, kind, no, kind and of I, excited me. I've always liked the Gears series, and I I liked Halo Four, and I did not like Halo Five. Yeah. So, and I don't know if that's stuff they can recapture. Maybe they're thinking to the future. Maybe I think with the Halo franchise, the you know when they came out with Halo Four, they said, "Oh, we've got at least three sequels. They're all coming." And then we got Halo 5, and I think that was their kind of like, and we need to take a Marketing on Halo 5 killed Halo 5. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think you're right with, you know, Microsoft's giving up on the X-Bone, especially after the X-Bone 1X came out. And um, didn't really make a market difference. The question is, what do you see the next platform of consoles sort of being? I think we're going where Microsoft originally wanted to go, which is kind of the always on games as a service platform. And we did get that. They did market that quite a bit at E3 with their Xbox one pass or the expansion of the game pass. Yeah. And, um, and I think Sony has announced that PlayStation now is getting into game downloads as well. Right. Yep. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, well, you don't need to own all these things that are in your basement. You should just, you know, borrow them when you need them. Pay a fee to see them. Right, but that's very old school thinking that you want to own something. I and I don't want to own everything, but it will be really weird. I mean, we've talked about. I think we did an episode. We we did an episode about why we collect games. Mm-hmm. Sean and I both. Yeah, we did. And, uh. It will be really weird if we get to the point where everything's digital and then all of a sudden they're just like, well, due to the licensing agreement, you can't play this game. And we've anymore. already seen that happen where music gets stripped out of a GTA game. Well, and uh, Rock Band, they've announced that that's pretty much dead. Yeah. Even if you've owned the music, you're not going too soon. Right. And I've spent hundreds of dollars on Rock Band. So, anyhow, so. let's move into our last section one gratifying thing. Yes. Um, one of my favorite times of year is coming up and I think yours too. Mine too. Yep. Uh, summer games done quick. Is Which coming just, up. if you've never watched a GDQ, a games done quick and you're, you don't have to be a speed run fan because yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say is this speed running. If you don't know, I'll explain, uh, is where people go through games really fast, kind of self-explanatory and they exploit things well, in the game and there's different types of speed running there's ones where they do exploit glitches there's others where they say we're not going to do any warps for example in a mario game or we're not going to go through the walls and doom um there's different genres of speed running there's racing there's mm-hmm. sump pumping um <laughs> there's it's the races short. the races are really interesting where they pit four players same game and, and they're just trying to see who gets the best time trial yeah, it's yeah. it's really cool. So the the cool thing about GDQ is they they have a more it's everybody's welcome. You kind of they 
if you watch good runners, they actually explain what they're doing in the game. Yeah, they'll have good narration. So it's not like just dialing up a speedrun Twitch stream. This is actually an event where you have narration and, and commentary and it's, it's structured and and they always raise money for a charity. Yeah. And they raise an obscene amount of of money for for what it is and it's really inspirational um to me that gaming pulls this many people together for mm-hmm. events like this. So this this summer one is for Doctors Without Borders, which is a great cause. And um you know every every year they've surpassed their record. I think Summer Games Done Quick last year was like 2.5 or 3 million dollars, which is yeah, and it's funny because we're throwing um, a patio-based party next week, and it's the same time this is going on, and Jared and I were talking about this, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to have my projector out, and it's going to be tuned to Twitch. So we'll be outside on the patio having drinks and you yeah. know enjoying the fire pit, but Games Done Quick is going to be projected on the side of my house. Yeah, it's it's an event. Um, I definitely recommend everybody watch it. Uh, they have a schedule, and surely there's a game on there that you may have loved. There's games on there where I'm like, oh, I love this game. I love this game so much. And then I watch somebody play it, and they beat it in 15 seconds. Or a game where you're like, how could anybody speed run this? Yeah. And they do. Yeah, it's so. insane. Well, so, I think that wraps up this episode. Yeah. So, uh, Sean, thank you, as always. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to show up. Thank you for your opinions. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes opinions are wrong. I wasn't saying yours are wrong. No, I just admitted that. It's okay. I'm big enough. No, my opinions are wrong. Sometimes. We're flawed individuals. We're just human. Human. All right. See you guys next time.